If you'll take and open your Bibles to Romans in chapter 1, please. Romans chapter 1, I want to read verses uh, 1 through 17. Romans chapter 1, please. You'll find in your bulletin a prayer of illumination. Generally, I pray this, but uh, this is a prayer that I would like us to pray together, uh, this prayer of illumination. And this prayer of illumination is here so that we pray that God will open our eyes, illuminate, open our eyes, enable us to see his truth in his word. And so let's pray together. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, whose word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, open and illuminate our minds that we may purely and perfectly understand your word and that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood, that in nothing we may be displeasing to your majesty through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, faith from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then together we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I want, if God will help me, uh, to take up in the time that I have left with you in this capacity, um, this letter of Paul to the, church, um, to the church in Rome. Um, oddly, over all these years, I haven't preached through Romans. Um, many have asked, why not? And I don't know why. So there. Just haven't gotten around to it. Um, some have thought that I should take it up before I retire. So I suppose they're prophets. And here I go. To, um, to take this up. At least I have a deadline. 
it's a bit movable, in fact, a variety of things that could cause me to retire before these next 11 months are up, uh, not the least of which is the search committee could find a new pastor. So if I come in one Sunday morning and I said our text for the morning is uh, chapters 6 through 16, uh, you know that we need to move along more quickly than we had uh, perhaps, perhaps thought. But um, until then, I'll plot along probably a, lot, uh, a bit more quickly than I would otherwise, uh, given just preaching schedules and vacations and other, others preaching this uh, year as well. So that is my plan. But I'm taking this up not simply because it's what's left to do, but because I think it'll be of great help to us in these months to come as we regather from our COVID season, as we transition to a new pastor, and as we face the various issues in the world in which we live, I think that this letter is uniquely able in all the scripture to help us. So we'll carry along unwittingly. I've already begun Romans. I didn't realize on Easter Sunday when I picked Romans 1.4 to be my text for Easter Sunday that I, that I would actually continue on in, in Romans. That wasn't my plan. That particular passage just sort of fit my theme for Holy Week, which was that Jesus, Son of God, the divine Son of God who came in the incarnation to take on, in addition to his human nature, human, in addition to his, his divine nature, human nature, one person, two natures. And he came in weakness, but he rose in power. And that's exactly what Romans 1, 4 tells us. 3 and 4, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And we see that he came in humility as a man. And though, remember on Palm Sunday, he was hailed as a king, yet throughout the course of the week, things changed. And by the end of the week, he was declared to be a blasphemer by the Jews and insurrectionists, by the Romans, and thus was worthy of death, which he died on a cross for our salvation. And he rose then in power to rule and reign. He's ascended and now even still rules and reigns over all things for the glory of his father and for the blessing of his of his, of his church. But what I'd like to do this morning is to think about the purpose for which Paul wrote to the church in Rome. That is, what was he trying to accomplish through this letter to that particular church? And I think we'll see something. I hope we'll see something. It will flesh out over the weeks, perhaps months to come, uh, that will be of some deep help to us. Paul didn't found the church in Rome, we know. Uh, we don't know exactly how the gospel even got there, except that it didn't. Now, it, it may be that, because it appears that since Paul was thinking of coming to them for many years, that this church has been a, there a while, and it may be that it was actually started sometime soon after Pentecost Sunday, which was the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples of Jesus, you might remember. And, and that was a fascinating day. I, I must say that uh, of all the passages in the scripture, Acts chapter two to me is so pivotal um, because, because Jesus had said in the Great Commission, you to go to all the nations. 
He said in Acts 1 8, to wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And at that point, at least, if I'm reading it kind of fresh minded, reading it for the first time, I'm thinking, how is this ever going to happen? How are these, this band of, of his followers really going to be able to take the message of the gospel to the whole world? And on this particular feast of of, 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 of the Jews, God showed how he can do it. Because on that particular day, because it was a feast day, men from all over had to come to Jerusalem. And so the scripture says in Acts chapter 2, there were men from every nation of the earth. And on that particular day, in that particular moment, as the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples of Jesus, you know what happened? They began to speak in other tongues, and these other tongues were such that all the people there heard the mighty deeds of God in their own language. And at that moment in time, the Great Commission was in that shell of moments fulfilled. It had gone over all the known world in that moment in time. And I think God was just saying, see, I can do this. Now trust me and get going. Not going to do it like this again, but trust me, get out and do this. It can happen. Now, it just so happens, if you read in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, that there were those present who were visiting from Rome. And so it's quite likely that those who were visiting on that day have not only heard those disciples, but also Peter preach could well have been among the 3,000 saved on that day and then went home and began the church in Rome. And so now we find Paul really at the end of his ministry writing to them. He's probably in Corinth when he writes. And, uh, and, 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 and it's, again, as he's finishing up his ministry, he writes, he writes to them. What he wants to tell them, really, is that um, he has a ministry to Spain that he's interested in. He's in process, he says, of taking an offering uh, from the Gentile churches to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem who are poor or oppressed because of their faith and are poor. And so he's made this collection throughout his travels uh, among all the Gentile churches, and he's he's taking this this offering to... um, to these Jewish believers in Jerusalem. But what he wants to do is deliver that offering, come to Rome, and then go to Spain. And so really what he wants to do is elicit their help. Now in chapter one, what I read, he says that he wants to give them a spiritual gift, which is delivering the gospel again to them. Now they've had the gospel, but he wants to come and preach it again among them, even among the church, even in the midst of these believers, because they need in his mind to hear the gospel. That will help him, and that will help them. And then he wants to be mutually encouraged, he says in chapter one. He wants to receive something from them. And what he wants to receive from them, quite frankly, is their help in going to, to Spain. And he says, listen, I haven't come to you yet, because in a sense, there was already a church in Rome. And if you turn to chapter 15, let me read this beginning in verse 17. He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my uh, work uh, for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem 
all the way uh, to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. In other words, Paul's saying, my calling has been to go to places where the gospel hasn't been named. So I haven't come to you because you know it. You have it. So I haven't come yet to you, but, but now I want to come to you. And I want to strengthen you, and I want to be encouraged by you. So verse 22, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. That is, I haven't had a great need to because you already have the gospel. Verse 23, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. And so uh, that's his plan, as I said. On his way to Jerusalem, deliver the money, uh, deliver to help them, and then he's hoping to get to Rome. If you're a reader of the book of Acts, you know that he got there in a rather awkward kind of way. But he got there. Uh, But then he says, I want to go from there, which we don't think he ever did, to Spain. I want to use you as a launching off point, uh, if you will. So quite frankly, his purpose for writing to them, at least his first purpose, was as a missionary support letter. I mean, this might be the first and most elaborate missionary support letter ever sent. This would have ended up on the refrigerators of the people, believers in the Church of Rome uh, and if he were in our day with a little envelope ready to send and to help him and to say, come and we'll take a collection for you uh, even here. But not only that, Paul sees some disharmony in the church in Rome uh, as well. It's made up of Jews and Gentiles. And that was always a difficult um, um, union between Jews and Gentiles. They were so very, very different from one another. It was hard for them to get together. Uh, you might remember that, um, that, that, that uh, the faith really came through this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, to the household of Israel. But when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he says, I want you to go to all the nations, go into all the world, go into all the nations, and disciple and preach. And then in Acts 1.8, he said, I want you to go into all the world. But if you're a reader of the book of Acts in the New Testament, what you find is it took a long time for that to happen. It didn't happen immediately. You'd think, okay, uh, they've got the word to go uh, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You'd think that at least by chapter four, they'd be on their way to the ends of the earth, but they weren't. It took a persecution to get them to scatter out of Jerusalem. And then by chapter 10, it took a, a vision uh, of, 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 from God to Peter to, to really see it. So they would go into the household of Cornelius, which God had already set up. And so there was great success from the get-go. But then Paul is called to go to the Gentiles, the missionary to the Gentiles. But it took a while to get it out. And so there's disharmony, it appears, in the church in Rome between Jews and Gentiles. We don't know the origins of that, except first that there was always difficulty between them. And secondly, it may be this, that there had been an emperor, Claudius, who was quite opposed to Christianity and expelled 
Jewish Christians, it appears, we read in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 18, Jewish Christians, and he expelled them for a time. So you can only imagine then, you've got this church founded by Jewish believers, then grafted in Gentile believers, and then the Jewish believers leave. And then after a time, the Jewish believers come back after Gentile believers have now been running the church for a while. And so you can imagine there might be some even difficulties there in addition to the natural ones that just came among them. So by the time we get to chapter 12 in Romans, what we find is Paul saying, here's how I want you to live together. And here's how I want you to, to live together, even though some might be called weaker brothers and some might be called stronger brothers in these things about which you disagree. And so my goal for you is this in Romans chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then this benediction in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you might abound in hope. See, he, he wants the God of uh, hope to fill them with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you see it's the Holy Spirit's work to join us with Christ and to join us with each other. It's the Holy Spirit's work to enable us to live in peace with one another. And so, so here's Paul's plan. Paul's plan is I'm going to write in this letter, I'm going to tell them I'm coming, and I'm going to tell them I'm coming so that they can be ready to help me get to Spain. So what I need to do is I need to ignite or perhaps reignite in them a great desire to see the gospel spread. Somehow I have to write them in such a way that by the time I get there, they're, they're, they're ready to go. They're, 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 they've burst into flame for the sake of the gospel. They want to see it go, and they want to see it go to Spain. And then this too, for that to happen, they need to be united together. They need to come together. I need to tell them something that will ignite their passion for mission. And I need to, to write something that will unite them together. So what does he write? <laughs> he lays out the gospel. He lays out the gospel for them. You know, some have said that the purpose for which Paul uh, wrote Romans was to lay out a systematic theology. And while he does speak in theological terms, it isn't quite complete. If it were, we wouldn't have all the other books of the Bible. But even in reading it, there are things that we'd reference as we're writing a systematic theology, much that we'd reference, especially in the terms of how it is that we're justified by faith. But he takes the gospel, he takes this theme of being justified by faith in Christ. He takes this gospel and he lays it out for them as complete as he possibly can, knowing that if they hear this and believe it, then they will have within them a great passion for the mission of the church and they will come together as one voice, one people. Because that's what the gospel does. So his purpose, get to Spain. His purpose, unite together. 
The way he does that is by laying out for them, by laying out for them the gospel. Why is that? Well, first of all, because the gospel reveals the glory of God. If you look in chapter 1 and um, verse, verse 5, it speaks of Jesus, and he says, through whom um, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, that is, the obedience that comes because we believe the obedience that comes out of faith in Christ, not to earn it, but because we've received it, and now we obey from faith. So he says, I want you, he says, I'm, I'm doing this through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. What he means by that is, I'm doing this to honor Christ. I'm doing this to glorify him. And why is he doing it to glorify Christ? Because Christ is glorious. It says if you can see this gospel, what you'll see is the very, the very glory of God. See, in the first instance, we're motivated for mission. We're motivated to share the gospel. It's going to sound heretical to some of you. I encourage you it's not. But in the first instance, we share the gospel not because we love the lost. Now, we should love the lost. We do love the lost. But that's not the first instance. That's not the first motivator for us to share the gospel. The first motivator is that we love Christ. The first motivator is that we see the glory of God. And we desire for his glory to be spread because he is glorious. Karen and I haven't flown in a while, but oftentimes when we fly, we're going to see a grandchild somewhere or multiple grandchildren somewhere now. And if she takes out her phone, I know it's only a matter of time before a picture of a grandchild will pop up. And I know it's only a matter of time before she'll start leaning that picture towards the person sitting beside her, not me, but the other way. Now, the reason she wants to show the picture of our grandchild to the person isn't because necessarily she loves that person or even knows that person, but she thinks our grandchildren are glorious. She thinks that if this person could get a glimpse of one of our grandchildren, that they'll have the happiest day in their life. That's why we share the gospel because he's worthy to be spoken of, because he's glorious. And once we get a glimpse of his glory through the gospel, Paul says, I've seen it, and so I'm obligated. I, I, I have this debt that I, I, I have to, to pay out. It isn't the kind of debt where I borrowed something and I have to pay it back. It's the kind of debt where I've been given something that somebody else needs, and so now I owe it to them. Now I have to take it to them. And I've been given the gospel, so I, 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 I take this to them. Why? Because he's so glorious. They need to see this. Everybody needs to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Everybody needs to see the glory of God in the gospel. And so Paul says, I'm compelled to take it. I'm obligated. I'm, in, I'm indebted to take it, you see. In fact, we have a, a line in uh, our, our mission, our purpose statement as a church. 
And the line is this, we witness of his goodness and truth, that is, we witness of the gospel, for he's worthy to be declared to the nations, you see. And so Paul says, if I can lay this out for you, if you can see this gospel, then I know what the end, of res- the, the end result will be. You'll see the glory of Christ in the gospel. You'll see how glorious this is. And, and you'll, when I come and I say, I want to take the gospel to Spain, you'll say, how can we help? Of course, we, we have to get this. We can't hold it here in Rome. We've got to spread it, not only in Rome, but, but everywhere else too. And so, so here's the sense, the glory of God. I need to show it to them. And then as he says in verse 15, he says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I want, you, I want to lay this gospel out again. Why? He says, for I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And you would think, well, Paul, why would you be ashamed of the gospel? Well, I suppose we could be ashamed of many things, but something that shames us is often when we think we're right and we find out we're being wrong, we're wrong. And, and publicly, everybody knows that we've been, we're wrong and, and, and we feel that, 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 that shame. And you know, uh, Paul was rejected a lot and dramatically rejected. Like usually if I share the gospel with somebody and they don't want to hear it again, they just avoid me. They don't throw rocks at me, right? They don't put me in prison just yet. But for Paul, they, they tried to kill him. Paul, they ran him out of town if they didn't put him in prison. He could have shied away from sharing the gospel. But he didn't. And then in the same way, how does... The author of Hebrews put it concerning Jesus. He went to the cross, scorning its shame. In other words, when Jesus was on the cross, he could have been shamed. He was shamed by the mockers. Oh, yeah, you saved others. Why can't you save yourself? Come down from that cross and all of that. But, but why didn't he? For the same reason Paul's compelled to share the gospel, even in the midst of the difficulty, is because they know it's true. They know the outcome. They know what's going to happen. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul knew this. Jesus knew that when he was on the cross, he was accomplishing that which was necessary to accomplish. And he knew the end result, the salvation of the the people that his father had given to him. And so here he was, despised the shame, went through it. Why? Because he knew it was true. Why? Because he knew his father wouldn't abandon him to the grave. Why? Because he knew this was necessary for the salvation of people. And so Paul knows the same. He says, I'm not ashamed of it because, because I know. I know the truth of it. And I know that perhaps in the short run, people will try to shame me, people will reject me and insult me and all of that. Because after all, I am telling them things that might feel to them insulting. I'm saying that their good works can't save them. I'm saying to them that as good people, you're no better than anyone else. I'm saying that nothing that you have within you can commend you to God. I'm saying that everyone needs Christ. Everyone whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're educated, whether you're not, whether, whether you have high social standing or whether you don't, 
whether you're respected in the community or whether you're not, whether you, people you think you're good or whether they don't, or whether you think you're good or whether you're, whether you don't, doesn't depend upon any of the markers that we have as human beings to commend one person over another. It's not based on your nationality or your ethnicity. Everyone, everyone, everyone needs Christ. Or you'll be condemned, you'll be lost. That's Paul's message here. It's for everyone who believes. This is not a shame because it's the power of God for salvation that is to be saved as we read through Romans. What we'll find is that first and foremost, we're saved from the wrath of God. So it makes the gospel offensive. We're actually telling people, as we've told ourselves or been told by others, and naturally speaking, we're under the wrath of God because of our sin. This is the only way to be saved from it and to receive real life is to have faith in Jesus. And he says this gospel this news that we declare, this good news, is the power of God. This isn't just information. It's power. It's the power of God to actually rescue you from this wrath of God, rescue you from sin and all of its consequences, rescue you from death, rescue you from hell. It's the power of God to do that. And what Paul is saying, you can't do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. We can't do that ourselves. We're powerless against it. But this is the power of God. And he's writing to the people in Rome who are living in in the place of power in the world. And he says, Rome can't save you. Nothing here can save you. Only Christ can save you. And here is the truth. And I'm not ashamed of it because I know it's the power of God. I know it will save everyone who believes. to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why does he put it like that? Well, there was this historical reality. First, the gospel came to the Jews. If you all go all the way back to Genesis 12 with Abraham and work your way up, you find first came to the Jews. It, 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 it came through Jesus to the household of Israel. It came first on the day of Pentecost in that great sermon of Peter's to the Jewish people who were there for the feast of Pentecost. We find that it started out in Jerusalem. We find even Paul, when he travels, goes to the synagogue first. But that doesn't mean Gentiles were left out. It just means that in historical reality, uh, the Jews first, uh, Gentiles were always included. Even in the old covenant, Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles. Jesus received Gentiles and blessed them. The Great Commission going to all the world. Acts 1.8, go to all the nations, to the uttermost parts of the earth, you see. So that's simply all that is. But he knew that it was the power of God, and here it is. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. He says it's the power of God into salvation. It really works. Why? Because it gives us what we actually need in order to stand in the presence of God, to be forgiven, yes, but also to stand in his presence and to live with him. It gives, it declares us to be righteous. Now this little phrase, the righteous, I haven't preached in a while, so I have to keep track of my time. I don't care. But 
I do a little, because I have to teach Sunday school. Um, but um, this phrase, the righteousness of God, is a fascinating one. It's used by Paul eight times in Romans and only one other time in a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where he says that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. But it can mean a number of things. First, it can simply refer to the character of God. He is righteous. He's right in all that he does, right? He's right in his very person. He is truth. He is love. He is light, right? He's right in his person, his character. And he's right in all he does. But it can also mean that the righteousness that God gives to us as a gift through faith. And it's that meaning that we have here. You might know in your studies of church history that this was a passage that Martin Luther struggled with a great deal. He writes this in his introduction to his commentary. He said, I I greatly longed to understand Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and acts righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby, through grace and sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. Therefore, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise The whole scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. The passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. You see, the truth is God is righteous. The truth is to be in relationship with him, we must be righteous. And the truth is, because of our sin, we're not. What hope do we have? Well, Paul's going to lay this out. You know, once we get to to verse 18 and and, and take us through part of chapter 3, we'll find that he's going to say that none of us is righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And thus, by by mid-chapter 3, if you're living in Romans, you'll feel hopeless and helpless. But then he says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You see, that's it. This righteousness comes to us as a gift from God. He says, yes, I am righteous. Yes, I demand it. You can't do it. So here's a gift. I want you to to take it by faith. What does that mean? It means not on the basis of your own work. Abandon that. Abandon confidence in yourself and your ability and anyone else's. But trust in Christ. And Paul says, that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is this righteousness that we receive not by our own works, but we receive by faith. Faith for faith. Or as the NIV puts it, faith from first 
to last. And then he quotes the prophet Habakkuk, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, it's always been this way. It's always been this way. And that's the glory of the gospel. Paul said, listen, I'm going to lay this out for you. He says, church, grace, church, I'm going to lay this out for you. And when I'm done, here's what should happen. You should see the glory of the gospel. You should see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And that should compel you. That should compel you to show this to everybody. That should compel you to to desire to, to, to have everybody in Lawrence know the gospel of Jesus Christ. To have everybody throughout the world know the gospel through faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's what you should do. And secondly, church, this should humble you. Humble you to accept, to worship with others who may be very different than you actually drive you crazy from time to time. But who have faith in Jesus. We see it, don't we? At the table, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup And again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. And what are we declaring? We're declaring that the gospel is the power of God Unto salvation for all who believe. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He's saying, faith in Jesus restores you to God, reconciles you, forgives your sins fills your account with righteousness, not yours, but Christ's, and fills it to the full in such a way that God will look at you and will look at me just as if we've never sinned, just as if we've always obeyed. If that on the one hand doesn't humble you, nothing will. If that on the other hand doesn't thrill your soul, Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful to be able to sit this morning in a group of people who hear this and believe. I pray if there's those who don't, that you would cause them to believe it, to see their own helplessness, hopelessness really, but to realize the great hope we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, Father, I pray that we all would know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We would all know this righteousness that was revealed by it. 
would receive it by faith so that we might live together, so that we might worship together, so that we might glorify you, the great message of the gospel together. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.